0: Well, happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. In fact, can we have you stand so that we can honor you, all you dads? Would you stand for us? Great to see you. Awesome. Well, happy Dad's Day. Enjoy those great gifts that you're going to get. And wasn't this men's choir... Awesome. They did such a great job. So proud of them. Each year, when Father's Day rolls around, I can't help but think of my own dad who died 13 years ago now. And as I was putting together this talk, knowing that it was going to be on Father's Day weekend, I started, you know, rehashing stories and events and circumstances that I experienced with my dad and one that came to mind was when my dad wanted to buy and ultimately did property up in northern Michigan. It's uh, in the Cadillac region and he wanted to escape from everyday life and he wanted to have a place where he could invest in his four boys you know and teach them to be men and work the land. Didn't work with me but you know worked with my brothers but he At the time he was buying this property, it was like uninhabitable right there was There was nothing there there, there were no houses or anything on this land there, there wasn't a cabin there wasn't any place that you could stay and In fact, the whole piece of property was either woods or overgrown fields of tall weed grass and sumac and and blackberry bushes, you know, those thorny bushes. And I mean, it was all over this property. And I mean, the the weed grass was like, you know, high. And so it was, if you wanted to go anywhere on the property, there weren't any roads or trails or anything. You had to kind of like guess where to go. And it wasn't easy. You had to drive around the sumac and the blackberry bushes. And it wasn't good for the vehicles. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I could hear... Whack, whack, whack of the sumac on the car. It just really messed the vehicles up, and it wasn't safe to go through this overgrown field area with a vehicle. In fact, my, my dad was pretty cool. He knew he had four boys and he wanted to let them have some fun, and so he had some access to some concept recreational devices. and. This is before Wave Runners. We grew up on a lake, and he, he got a thing called a hydrofoil, which was, it went up on the, it was as dangerous, it was more dangerous than a motorcycle. This thing was crazy, and he wanted his boys to be men. And up north, he got this, this concept vehicle that led ultimately to what are now ATVs. You've seen ATVs and their development all going on. Well, this thing was a concept of it. It was like a thin kind of shell of fiberglass sitting on a, Pretty solid frame with three huge balloon tires on each side. Before we'd ever seen one of these, and it drove like a tank, right? It had these two levers, and if you pushed them both forward, it'd fly. It had a huge engine in this thing. If you if you pulled one back like this, it'd spin to the right. Pull one back this way, it'd spin that way. It was a, Can you imagine putting four young teenage boys in this thing and saying, "Go at it! No trails, no roads." It, the grass was literally over the windshield, this thing, and we're just cooking, and my older brother was driving one time, and we were egging him on, faster, faster, he's going "Wow, you know, and booing this thing, and we were having a blast, and all of a sudden he went over the crest of a, of a hill, and down into a bowl there in the middle of this overgrown field, and we, without seeing it, there were no trails, hit a huge Rock! It came right into the hole of that thing, right? And we all went flying. It's amazing that we lived at all. But we did. No trails on this property. Now, over the years, of course, through constant use, now that property is filled with trails. In fact, there are some well-worn roads, really, through there, and huge trails because we've used the property. Constant use, whereas trails. In fact, if you were to go to our property, you would be able to clearly recognize and identify the places most important to us on this property, the places that that we, the Powells, value more than any other on that property. Because all of the important places would be at the end of the well-worn trails. In fact, the more well-worn the trail the more important and valuable the place is to us. Dad had us build an A-frame and and there's a well-worn road to the A-frame because that's where we go every time we come on to the property. It reminded me as I was remembering this of, of the spiritual journey because it's exactly the same thing. You see, when I first stepped across the line of faith and decided to stop cutting my own trails in this world and to start following the path that God made for me as I decided that my way was always the wrong way and his way ultimately proved as hard as it might have been to be the right way. When I started walking with him, the truth is it was just like that property my dad bought. I had never been on his path before. The truth is, because I had, as all of us have, kind of did my own thing, gone my own way. I I had an overgrown pathway uh, that was to be my journey with God. And I had no clue about it. It wasn't well worn at all. I had cut new trails in this thing. It was brand new to me. And so I had to do a lot of guessing and, and, you know, right here and take a left here. And the truth is, I got off the path a lot. And the truth is, I hit a lot of rocks. And the truth is, I got thrown out of my vehicle a ton on this spiritual journey. Really, really, really messed up. And in fact, I have discovered that we're really not supposed to take it alone. In fact, every single one of us should, along the way, find someone who's been down the road a little bit further than us so that they can warn us about forks in the road. They can... They can show us where the trail is. This is why we do small group here. This is why we offer connection points. It's not because we want something from you. It's because we don't want you to crash and burn. But along the way, I've been on this journey now so long that I've created some well-worn paths. I've created some some paths that show me where I'm supposed to go because I've been there before I've taken a wrong turn here go straight here I've I've gone straight when I should have gone right over here and I've learned and so over the journey I've taken I've actually made the path a little bit more clear a little bit more recognizable I've, I've worn a path and you can too but there's a danger in this I have discovered and the danger is that we can make the journey more clear and recognizable but make it the wrong journey the, the danger is that if we consistently do the wrong things what we do is we create a trail an easy path a comfortable direction to all the wrong places and I did this a lot I daily would blaze the trail into the wrong direction and it became the pattern of my life. It became really easy. It just kept taking me to the wrong places and I kept waking up and going, why am I not experiencing life in a different way? How come my relationships aren't what God defined them to be? How come I'm not finding the value and the significance that God created for me? I mean, come on, I'm trying to follow Christ, but the problem was I was on a well-worn path to the wrong places. And I realized that if I'm going to where a path to the right places, it takes consistently doing the right things. Here's what I discovered, and I never knew this early on in my life, and you, you need to know this as well. You can recognize what's important to me, and you can recognize what's valuable to me by looking at the well worn paths of my everyday journey. Just look at what I do every day. Just look at how I walk every day. Just look at where I go every day. And you're going to know what's important to me. Just like if you go on our property, you'll know the important things to us there. If you would let me close enough to your life that I could see your daily journey, I would know what's important to you. And it wouldn't necessarily be in your life or mine what we say it is. Because many of us say, oh, God's really important to me and I'm, you know, all this different stuff. But the well-worn paths of our lives are taking us to different places and so i learned along the way an unforgettable reality and it's the fact that what i do on a daily basis really matters in life what i do on a daily basis is is either messing up or making my journey with god what it ought to be what i do is important in this series, Unforgettable, we're talking about unforgettable truths that have transformed us and, and we're sharing how it's transformed us and why with you so that it might become an unforgettable and impacting truth in your life as well. And, and this weekend, this Father's Day weekend, here's the unforgettable truth that I learned that I want to share with you. We need to do the right things consistently consistently on a daily basis, so that the well-worn paths of our lives, the paths that are easy to get on, clear and recognizable, will ultimately take us to the right place. We need to do the right things. I just want to kind of share with you how Jesus said it. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 17 through 20. Jesus says, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, I guess it could bear fruit if it was a fruit tree. I'm not sure. (laughs) But I think this is just fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. By a tree's fruit, you will recognize it. All you have to do is really replace the word tree with path, and you've got my illustration, don't you? Every good path leads to a good place. Every bad path leads to a bad place. A good path can't lead to a bad place, and a bad path can't lead to a good place. I mean, it's just, it's kind of the same metaphor. What you do is really important. Now, often in churchy settings, often in spiritual settings, what what we talk about a lot is, faith and heart and those are vitally important without faith you can't be on the journey to knowing God, without faith you can't know Jesus without faith your life can't be transformed your heart can't be your heart ultimately is the motivator of your actions in life and so without your heart being right you can't be right but we don't talk enough about what we do because out of our heart and as a basis of our, an expression of our faith comes our actions. And what we do is vitally important. Look at again how God says it just to really challenge us on this in James chapter 2 verses 14 through 18. He says, what good is it my brothers if a man claims to have faith but has no do's, has no deeds? Can, can faith without doing anything save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is that kind of faith? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, by doing, is dead faith, it's worthless faith. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith By what I do. What we do is vitally important. We need to do the right things if we're going to end up in the right places. The well-worn paths of our lives indicate ultimately what's important and valuable to us. And too many of us have well-worn paths to the wrong places. We need to do the right things. Now, before I get too far into this, I need to highlight a very, very, very important point. Doing the right things is not an absolute indication that you're living the right kind of life. Because this is what hypocrisy does. Hypocrisy puts on the outside the right things, but leaves on the inside all the wrong things. This is why the first two talks I gave about unforgettable truths first dealt with the inside stuff. You know, when, I, when I'm when i on or make a claim that I'm on the path to following God, I can really know if that's true by what I love. Am I loving the right things or the wrong things? How is my heart? If I really want to know how I'm doing on this journey to knowing God and being on this spiritual path that he created for me, then I need to look at what I trust because I find that I'm getting ready to crash and burn. I'm getting ready to hit the rock and get thrown out of you know, the vehicle when I am trusting the wrong things, I have to trust the right things, but when I am loving the right things, and when I am trusting the right things, then, I should be doing the right things, and I have found that it's easy for me to tell you that I am loving the right things, and trusting the right things, and it's easy for me to convince myself that I am loving the right things, and trusting the right things, all the while, I am not doing the right things. So the reason I'm not experiencing the promises of God in those moments, the reason I'm not experiencing the fullness of God in those moments is because I'm not truly loving and trusting the right things. And I know it because I'm not doing the right things. And so this has become a marker for me. There's nothing I want more for me, and there's nothing I want more for you than for all of us to experience God's promise and potential and fullness in our lives, it will never happen unless we're on his path. Too many of us are are crashing and burning. Too many of us are getting thrown because we're hitting rocks because our well-worn paths are to the wrong places. We need to get that right. Too many of us are doing some right things on the outside, but the inside's messed up. Look what Jesus says about that in Matthew chapter 7. Verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who is genuinely doing the will of the Father who's in heaven, who's genuinely on the right path. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, look at the things we did. We prophesied in your name. We drove out demons. We performed many miracles. Look at all our dues. But then Jesus says, but I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Be careful, To make what you do more important than who you are. Be careful about making what you do more important than your heart, than your faith. But be just as careful not to say you have the right heart and to say you have the right faith, but not to be doing the right things. Because here's what I've discovered. I can do the right things and still be living the wrong kind of life, but I cannot have the right kind of heart and the right kind of faith and not be doing the right things. And so it's a great marker for me. Am I doing the right things or not? What are the well-worn habits and patterns of my daily life like? Because when your life is right, you do the right things. So it starts with the heart, it moves to the head, and now this weekend we're looking at the hands what we do now in order to evaluate whether i'm doing the right things i had to find a basis for that and the basis for that is the great command why not jesus said there are two commands that literally if we live them out help us to fulfill everything god's designed us for a guy came to jesus says what's the greatest command and he couldn't give him one he gave him two he says the greatest command is to love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. But I can't just give you that one because if you really love God that way, you'll love others. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. And so I've used those as the two questions for evaluating whether I'm doing the right things in life. And you could do this as well. The first question is this. Is Am I doing the right things where it concerns God? Am I doing the right things where it concerns God? Is is the doing of my life matching my declaration that I love God with all my heart and all my soul and all my life and all my strength? Am I doing the right things when it comes to God? And I've had to give myself some, some clear and tough hangers to look at, pillars to look at in relation to this. Let me just tell you something about myself that maybe you can relate to. I am easier on myself than I am on other people when I evaluate myself I give myself lots of margin when I evaluate other people it's a tough evaluation are you like that at all so when I ask myself this question am I doing the right things when it comes to God my natural thing is of course I am you know because I give myself you know I grade myself on a curve, a dramatic curve. So I had to give myself some tougher questions to really see if I'm there. And why is this? Because it's not enough to say I'm doing the right things when it comes to God because that won't help me to experience him fully. I really have to be doing the right things. And so I kind of start here. Am I doing the right things when it comes to seeking God first? Am I doing the right things when it comes to seeking God first? Because Jesus said, we human beings tend to strive for all the wrong things, the things that only God can give. And striving for the things that only God can give without striving for God first causes us to miss God and those things. And so Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 33, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. Seek first God and his ways. And all these things that we strive for will be added to our lives because they come from him. Seek God first. And so, once again, because I grade myself on a curve quite often, I'll go, you know, I'm seeking him first. And I use tones that kind of, like, give me room. Yeah, I'm seeking him first. I do some good stuff, right? But it's not getting me there, so then I have to go further. Okay, if he's really the first priority of my life and who I'm seeking first, then I should be seeking him with greater passion than I seek anything else. Because when something's valuable to me, a priority to me, I go after it with passion. And the truth is, even when I say I'm following him, and I'm on the path knowing him, and I'm trusting him, and I'm loving him, the truth is, very often in my doing, I have greater passion for other things than I do for him, which means I'm not really on the path. Do you recognize yourself in that at all? Because we're probably a lot alike. Look what David said in Psalm 63, 1. He said, oh God, you're my God. Earnestly, passionately, I seek you. So much so, I mean, I love his metaphors. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you like I'm in a dry and weary land, a desert where there is no water. And I have to be honest with you. More often than not, when I claim to be following God and on the right path, more often than not, he's not my first passion. Which means I'm not really on the right path. And and then I have to go further with myself and challenge myself because I grade on a curve and and I have to ask myself okay am I seeking him first not just passionately but I am I seeking him first diligently am I more diligent and disciplined in pursuing him than in anything else than in my career than in my pursuit of success and my you know pursuit of security or whatever it is and more often than not I have to go oops not more than anything else Which means that I'm not really on the right path. Because I always have these questions. Why am I not experiencing God like other people are? Why am I not experiencing his promise? How come I'm not hearing his voice? How come I'm not knowing his way? How come I'm not experiencing the things he says he'll give me, like joy and peace and love? I mean, how come? And the reason is because I'm making a declaration that I'm trusting him and on his path. But I'm not really. Because I'm not seeking him first. And I'm not diligently pursuing him first. And certainly not with passion look at how the Bible says it in 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. You know, you're on the right path. You're doing the right things because you're rightly dividing the word of truth. Very often, I seek God on my terms instead of his terms. I seek God where I want to find him instead of where he says he can be found. Do you know where God says he can be found? In his word. And so we're supposed to diligently seek him in his word, rightly dividing and understanding it so that we can know him but very often we're not in his word all that much if he's not going to come meet me where i want him to meet me then i guess i'm not going to meet him and so i evaluate myself on these terms am i doing the right things when it comes to god am i seeking him first and very often i have to go oops no and i have to realign then then it goes further i go am i doing the right things when it comes to worshiping him When it comes to worshiping him. And I'm not talking about you know, coming in and singing songs and all that stuff. That can be an expression of worship. But it's not the essence of worship. You want to know what the essence of worship is? Look at Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. And I have to say, okay, if I'm following him, this is how I'm worshiping him. Authentically, with every fiber of my being, with all that I am. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy and all the compassion he's shown us. To respond in this way. To offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Fully surrendering. Fully committing your life to living for him. Holy and pleasing to him. Not pursuing your own deal. And it goes further. Not conforming any longer to the pattern of this world. Not following the well-worn paths of this world. But being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Which comes from his word. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so I say, okay, if I'm really on this path to knowing God that I'm seeking him first passionately and diligently and I'm worshiping him by fully surrendering my life, this does not sound like the average Christian life, does it? Which is why the average Christian life doesn't experience the majestic God of glory. But I want him, and so I have to readjust And then I go, am I doing the right things when it comes to obeying God? Now there's a word we leave out of our language a lot. Am I I doing the right thing when it comes to obeying God? Because that is about doing. I say I love him more than anything else. I say I'm trusting him more than anything else. So I should be then obeying him more than anything else. Look at how Jesus said it in John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, you will... Yeah, it's even tough to say, isn't it? It's almost like it gets stuck up there, right? If you love me, you will... What I command. I'm going to tell you, I make easy declarations that I love him. And I make easily declarations that I trust him. But, But what I do makes a clear declaration that other things are more important to me. At times. And when that happens, I have to make the adjustment. And I'm telling you, this gets really difficult for me. You know, I'm made of this really rotten clay, broken and messed up. And it does the wrong thing more than the right thing. And so, if I'm going to be on the right path, doing the right things, that means that I'm going to obey him. And here's what it means. It means I'm forgiving those who have hurt me most because he commanded me to forgive. It means that I'm serving others instead of serving myself because he commanded me to serve. It means I'm sharing him with the world who needs him so desperately because he commanded me to be a witness. It means that I'm giving financially, making sacrifices of my finances to help others because he commanded me to excel in the grace of giving. It means I'm rejoicing and this is where it really gets tough. It means I'm rejoicing in all circumstances because in Philippians 4.4, 4, here's his command, rejoice always and again I say rejoice and if I'm really on the right path, it means I'm obeying him. Rejoicing always. Quite frankly, I'm whining More than I'm rejoicing. Aren't you? My prayer life. Oh dear Jesus. If you'd just show up. Life would get better. If you'd just take these people out. And give me new ones that listen. That'd be great. You know. I mean it's like whining. Which means I'm not on the right path. Because if I'm on the right path. I'm not letting my joy be defined by my context. My joy is defining my context. You see. So we make these declarations of, man, I'm on the path, I'm following Jesus, I'm trusting him, I'm loving him, but we're not even obeying him in the simple things like joy. It means that I'm telling the truth because he commanded me not to lie to other people. It means that I'm consistently grateful because he said I should... Be thankful for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. It means that I should be gathering with other believers, not because they're perfect, not because the church is perfect, but because he commanded me to faithfully gather with other believers and not forsake it like so many are. It, It means that I should be consistently getting with other believers and stirring them up to love and good works because he commanded that I encourage them and lift them up instead of drag them down as the world drags us down. It means so much because if I love him, I'll be obeying him. So I start by asking, am I doing the right things when it comes to God? Seeking him first, worshipping him, obeying him. And and let me just say it this way. I have to ask, are these the well-worn paths of my life? And quite frankly, not very often. Can I ask you a question? Are these the well-worn paths of your life? Well, there's the answer as to why you might not be experiencing God the way you think you should why he's not showing up it's not that he's not showing up he's at the end of the right path we're just on the wrong path and then I go to a second question because the great command doesn't stop with just loving God it says you got to also love others right? and so I ask this question Okay, if I really want to assess honestly if I'm on the path to knowing God if I'm really growing and becoming who he's created me to become then, then I have to say am I doing the right things when it comes to other people am i doing the right things when it comes to other people am i investing in them the right way it's a big deal Uh, look at this one story in luke chapter 10 i'll start with verse 25 it says on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test jesus teacher he asked what must i do to inherit eternal life jesus said well what's written in the law you know the Bible. You're an expert in the law. What's written in the law? How do you read it? And the expert in the law answered, you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, right on. So do this and you'll live. Knowing that until his heart was transformed and his faith was transformed, this wouldn't happen. And this guy knew, well, that's really hard. The reason I'm, I'm asking you to tell me how to get eternal life, and I'm not wanting that answer because that's too hard. so so the guy wanting to justify himself rationalize his behavior asked Jesus who's my neighbor what really who's my neighbor but the reason he's doing it is because he's like me he's like you we try to rationalize our behavior we know what the Bible's saying but we try and keep asking questions to make it say something different aren't you like this when it comes to giving you know it's like how much? God says 10%. And he goes, Here's the question. Is that gross or net? I get it. We're, we're trying to rationalize our behavior. I get it. And then we try and weasel our way down to about 0.0001% because we gave bazooka bubble gum to our neighbor. That counts for most of the tithe, right? I mean, we really do this. And so this is what he's doing. And so Jesus told a story to really help us to see ourselves, our rationalizing, natured selves more objectively. It's called the Parable of the Good Samaritan. You can read it. It's Luke chapter 10. And I'll I'll tell you the story real quickly. Here's how it goes. There's a guy who's walking from Jerusalem to Jericho and he gets beat up by a bunch of bad guys, robbers and left for dead. And and As luck would have it, a priest, a priest, a representative of God walks by, sees him, walks around him and on his way. Uh, A Levite comes, really religious guy, sees him, walks around him, goes on his way. And then Jesus throws this wrinkle in, right? And then a Samaritan came by. You need to know, Samaritans were absolutely the worst of the worst in the eyes of the Jews, I mean, weren't even considered full people. Bigotry was alive and well in that day. And, and so Jesus throws in the Samaritan. Priest good, Levi good, Samaritan bad. Jesus says, but a Samaritan came by. Remember the question, who's your neighbor? Samaritan came by and saw this guy, went to him, bandaged him up, helped him, put him on his donkey, took him to an inn, took care of him. When he had to go on for business, he then financed his entire you know time of getting better. And then Jesus looks at this expert in the law and he goes, Who do you think in that story was the neighbor? And the guy had to choke on his words and say, I guess it was the Samaritan. And then you know what Jesus said? Go, he didn't say go and believe likewise. He said go and do likewise. And so I have to look at the story and say, am I doing right when it comes to men? Am I wearing the right paths when it comes to how I treat others? In fact, here's the question I have to ask. Who am I most like in that story? That's a scary question for me. And let me start at the worst part. I have to ask myself this question. Do I treat others with respect or am I consistently hurting people? Look at Luke 10 verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went on away, leaving him half dead. Well, I've never done it physically to anyone because I'd get pummeled, but I often play the role of the robber, the one bringing pain and hurt into people's lives. I often consistently hurt the people who are closest to me and I love the most when I'm on the wrong path, when I'm not really following Christ. and Sometimes I have to say, even though I say I love him most and I trust him most, sometimes I have to say in this story I'm the worst of the worst. I'm the robber. I'm the one that's beating people up and leaving them half dead. Have you ever been that person? I have to ask myself, do I notice people or do I just look past them? In Luke 10:31 through 33, a priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, but came right where he was and took care of him. And the question is, am I more like the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? Now, I know how we try and justify, because I start saying this, you know, boy, we we shouldn't be intentionally passing by hurting people. We shouldn't be intentionally passing by hurting people. And you know how we justify ourselves? Well, what am I supposed to do? Help everyone? No. But you're supposed to help the people that God puts in your sphere of influence. You're supposed to help your thems, you know. Just because you can't help everyone doesn't mean you can't help the person who sits in the cubicle next to you at work when they're hurting and when they're needy or your neighbor when they're hurting or needy or someone that got, allows to cross your path. Do I notice people or do I just look past them? How about you? I have to ask myself, am I moved when I see other people hurting? You know, do I think of their need and their pain and how I might be able to help them? Or... Do I think of my own inconvenience if I had to help them? I'm going to be honest with you. I, you know, I'm sorry. But I can be thinking about my inconvenience more than I can be thinking about their pain. Can't you? Which means that I'm not really maybe loving all the right things and trusting all the right things. I might be off the path. No wonder I'm not experiencing God like I think I should. In Luke 10:33, when he saw him, he took pity on him. He was moved. I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy. I have to ask myself, do I act? Do I take action? Do I do what I can? Do I seek to help? Or do I intentionally walk around him like the priest did and the Levite did? And this Samaritan help the guy physically and we should be helping people physically. I mean, there are poor people hurting people all over that we should be helping. We should be helping the poor. But this also applies spiritually. Do you realize every human being you'll ever meet has been ravaged by the great robber, the enemy, the evil one and left half dead on the side of the road? No longer able to walk spiritually, know God spiritually, live life? And you know what God's called us, those of us who know Jesus to do? To help like the Samaritan, go over and apply the healing of Dr. Jesus, to apply the healing forgiveness of his truth to their lives, and yet we can go a lifetime sitting next to someone, working next to someone, living next to someone, living with someone, and never really talk about Jesus. Because, you know, they might not like us anymore. It's kind of tough. I don't know it all. We don't tell the story. I mean, am I doing right when it comes to others? How about you? Is there anybody in your life that could use Jesus, the Jesus you have and you haven't ever shared Jesus with them? Gosh. Do I act? Am I generous? Do I, do I give them my time, my money, my name, my promise? Look at Luke 10.35. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you any extra expense you may have you know there's more to this story, right? (laughs) What businessman says, oh, you're going to promise to pay? I don't know your name or who you are. Okay. Now he's going to say, credit card and license, please. You know there were credit cards back then. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Here's the thing. This guy had to give his name. I'm such and such. You know who I am. You can check out my references and I promise to come back and pay for any expenses here. He made a promise and he gave his name. Very often, I'm kind of not wanting to promise and I'm certainly not wanting people to know my name. Because then you know what they can do? They can hold me accountable. Am I generous, willing to put myself on the line like this guy, or am I not? And all of this boils down to this thing. If I'm not doing the right things, then I'm not going to the right places. I'm not experiencing the right things and that's where I want to be and go and experience. Isn't that what you want? So we have to realign. So I want to ask just three concluding questions. It's coming in for a landing, I promise. And then all of you can go wait three hours to get your table at the restaurant you're going to go to. (laughs) The first question you have to ask is, do do you really know him? Now, I'm not talking to those other people. I know that's what usually people think, oh, yeah, I'm glad he's asking that question for those people that need it. No, I'm asking the question for you. Do you really know him? Do you really know him? I not know about him. Not know a bunch of his truth, his cliches. Not I know the whole church setup and all that. Do you really know him? Look what 1 John 2, 3 says. We know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands, ooh, ooh, ouch. We, we can know that we know him if we're doing the right things. Because a good tree produces what? Good fruit. A bad tree produces, oh, bad fruit. What are you producing? I have to go back to square one all the time. I believe with all of my heart, and I know for a fact that I've put my faith in Jesus, but the truth is, though I've put my faith in Jesus, there are many seasons of my life where I'm not really knowing him. Do you know him? Are you obeying his commands? I think there are some here who have never taken that first step onto the path of God, into the overgrown meadows that God created to be your paradise. You haven't even stepped into that. Here's how you do it. Look at John 1, 12. It says, but as many as received Jesus, invited him into their lives by putting their full trust in his name, not in themselves, his death and burial and resurrection. God gives them the right to become children of God. You want to have a relationship with God? You want to get on the right path? You need to open your life to Jesus. And so just before I bring this talk to a conclusion, I'm going to ask if you'd just bow with me in a word of prayer. And if you're a believer here, I think you have stuff to talk to God about right now but if you've never taken the step across that line of faith, pray with me. Take my words in this prayer and make them the expression of your heart to God. Just say, God, I'm, I'm on the wrong paths. Paths where I walk without you instead of with you. Paths that end up in the wrong place instead of the right place. I acknowledge I've sinned against you. But Jesus, you died on the cross to forgive me And by faith I'm asking you to do it. And you rose again to give me new life and by faith I'm claiming it. Make me a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, please let us know. Not so that we can offend you or bother you, but so that we can get you information about next steps you can take on this journey with God. In the program we gave you, if you're in one of our live campus services, is a connection card. You just rip it out, it's easy. Fill it out, and on the bottom, check that circle that says you prayed to receive Jesus, and then at every exit of our campuses, our boxes, you can just throw it in there, or you can hand it to a guest service person, and we'll send you information, and if you're watching church online, hit the what next button, and we'll do the same exact thing for you. So once you know you know them, then this is what you should do. You should ask, am I really doing the right stuff when it comes to God? Am I really doing the right stuff when it comes to others? Am I really on this path like I think I'm on this path? The well worn paths of your daily life reveal what's really important to you. And if you're honest, like I have to be honest quite often, the well worn paths of our lives don't get anywhere close to the right place. But you know what the great news is? You can cut a new trail. When my dad bought that property, he put a couple of trailers on the property uh, and really stripped them out and turned them into bunk houses, one of them and the other was for the family. And and that's where we lived while we were going to build the A-frame, and it lasted quite a few years, the building project. And so we had this well-worn path to the trailers on the back of the property, to the trailers. Why? Well, because that's where we were staying. But when the A-frame was built, trailers were irrelevant. My dad ultimately came and bulldozed them out and buried them under the ground. They're gone. But there was still this well-worn path to this place nowhere. It was ridiculous. It was weird. But we cut a new trail. It's become the biggest and most well-worn trail to the A-frame. That's where we live. And you know what's happened to the old trail? It's all covered up. You can hardly see it anymore. You see, it seems right now that you can't change. It seems right now that your failures of yesterday are your failures forever. It seems right now that the well-worn path of your life will always be the well-worn path of your life, but that's just not the case. Because if you start cutting a new trail and stop walking the old trail, the new trail will become well-worn, and the old trail will disappear. But you've got to start cutting the new trail. It's my prayer that this weekend you'll make the choice to cut the new trail to the right places and let the old trail get covered up. And if you do, this truth will be for you what it's been for me. Unforgettable. Happy Father's Day. See you next time.